0: people here. I asked some to join. Please start. So I think I am audible now. I can start now. So good afternoon, friends. Uh, As all of you know that under Eco-Development Discussion uh, section of the South Asia the state of economic development in south asia uh, discussion series that is being organized under the impact policy research institute IMPRE, and uh, a few uh, occasions we have met and um, experts from several countries including bangladesh nepal india um, have already deliberated on several aspects of the uh, development or economic development, social development, environmental issues, Nepal and Sri Lanka also. And there the role of the government policies have been highlighted and its effectiveness and the law forces. The purpose of this discussion series is to highlight those policies and how to Redesign the government policies in order to mitigate the loopholes, if any, in the policy matters of the development paradigm. So today we are going towards another South Asia country, you know, the Bhutan, and which is in the top of the list of the happiness index in the world. So here in the title also, I see that terminology of happiness. And the speaker is the Dipendra Poryal. We are happy to welcome Dipendra, who is an environmental architect. So uh, the topic on which he will deliver it is the designing built environment for comfort, well-being, and happiness in Bhutan. So as you know, the, for the carbon footprint which is well-documented, well-discussed around in the last few years. So, as an important bearing on the policy design, not only for the consumption pattern, but the house-building pattern, use of the natural resources for the sustainable development and welfare of the people, with the least damage to the environment that can be done. So, that is the purpose of the not only of the economists but the engineers as well, they can contribute a lot in the designing matter. So in that, uh, from that perspective, I think we can learn a lot from Professor Dipendra Pariel who can help us understanding how the design building can help in conservation of the environmental resources or sustainable use of that without compromising the comfort of the people and their happiness. So those can be the less energy utilization, uh, whereas with less energy utilization, those designs can help in getting the best out of the material, uh, like the design of the house, the natural light and the um, wind, everything people can get, the air flow so that can help in conserving the energy also. So these are the things I think will be there, as I am not expert in that particular line, so I cannot deliberate much on it, so we will be looking forward to hear from you. So while speaking about uh, Mr. Mr. Dipendra Pariyal, he is, as I told in the beginning, the by profession he is an architect, environmental design consultant, and a researcher, and also an entrepreneur. So he has multiple talents. He is enthusiastic in developing integrated design development with additional expertise and sustainable consumption and production, building performance evaluation, and renewable energy application analysis. So a lot of aspects that he deals with uh the aspects are the infrastructure design interior design landscaping high performing building environmental and energy auditing sustainability climate change issues solar energies, and its solutions on these so several international projects in this line he has contributed and um, since 2010 as i see he also pre- presented a large number of articles in the national and international conferences and also published in the journals of high international repute. He has 12 years of experience in this building design industry and worked, as I mentioned, the foreigners, that foreign projects means European Union funded projects and some multinational companies he is working with. And he also awarded several prestigious awards by the United Nations Environmental Programme, UNEP, CIBSC and the Westminster City Council. So he has a lot of experience within this few years, last almost 10 years, but he acclaimed several things and awards. And also in this today's programme with us, We got the assistance of the design studio and I have, so I welcome them and it is a welcome move for being associated with this program by both these organizations. So now we invite uh, Mr. Dipendra Pariel to take the floor and start his discussion. Thank you.
1: Please. Thank you, Yes, thank you so much. Um, it's an honor actually um, i I do not say um, I have all the knowledge when it comes to uh, ensuring that built environment ensues happiness but then I have been moving on it you know I have been, I, because if you do not be the change then you cannot expect a change so that is one of the things that uh, we at design studio uh, you know we try to Embrace new ideas, continuously run, learn, and then, despite being a consultancy firm, we do a lot of research activities. Uh, and this has this has helped us to uh, make a place in the business community as well as an uh, as a organisation that is always looking forward for growth. Um, with this, I will uh, now share my screen and then uh, you know uh, and then show my presentation. Uh, uh, so. What we do is, uh, uh, I'll first go through the presentation and if there are any any deliberations or anything of that sort, we can always get back after the the end of the presentation. So uh, just to, um, you know, uh, again, bring it together. I am not an expert on happiness, actually, but we are moving towards it. And, and we believe as designers, we have a greater role to play since we, uh, we design spaces, you know, it's not just infrastructure, but spaces where people stay, where people live. And then that has to ensure that people can become happy. Um, and I, I talk about people, you know, because the, 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 the irony actually is that it is the people actually, the anthropogenic reasons why the CO2 emissions is rising, is rising over there. under the different scenarios, if you see um, it is it will we are already you know we have uh, the scientists already claim that we have we are beyond the uh, 2 degrees that was set as per the uh, paris agreement so there has to be something to decouple actually the way we are consuming the way we are using energy the way we are using resources to to get back our old earth and then as they as uh, Conver- you know, conservationalists would say, you know, that uh, give back, give to our children, the younger generation, the same kind of earth that we actually uh, lived in. I think that we have an immense responsibility to ensure the same. Um, and again, we talk about anthropogenic that is, you know, at, at, at an individual level, but then if you see collectively again, our eco footprint actually exceeds, already exceeds what the the, the, um, the earth can actually provide. India would require, you know, it's already uh, four times, the emissions are four times you know, to what actually the world can cater to. Things like, like the US is, uh, it's again very high. Uh, We're very fortunate because in Bhutan it is a must. It is a, uh, it's a, there are regulations and rules in place and under the royal command of his master, the king, to maintain 70% of the forest as, you know, uh, as forest of the total land available. And we are talking about just 30,000, over 30,000 square meters. And of that also, 70% is actually forest. And that's a, a, a national mandate. And because of which we are known as the carbon sink country. We're also very um, sparsely populated country with just over 7.5 uh, lakh people. But then, though you see the country as a very tiny one, the interesting thing with our uh, nation is that we are, we are such situated in the Himalayas that we have got five distinct uh, climate categories, you know, and that calls for even more uh, knowledge on how you design buildings how you design spaces how the how is the urban escape designed such that it responds to the individual climate regions and then creates uh, an environment that is uh, healthy and supports uh, well-being the the concept of grossness and happiness was coined by our uh, the great fort the fourth king of bhutan and he said I and I quote, GNH is more important than GDP. The understanding of what human needs to make them happy is vital to our society. And that's what we have been moving on you know, for so long. And that's why I think we are a happy nation. You know? And as, as Professor Utpal rightly pointed out, yes, we are at the apex of, in, in terms of happiness. And then we are very happy to, you know to be there and then, and then also to lead in this context. Uh, when you talk about GNH, you know, there are certain, there are the four pillars that define GNH. These are sustainable and equi- equitable socioeconomic development, conservation of environment, preservation and promotion of culture, and good governance. Architecture has been Uh, You know, a very crucial thing when it comes to the preservation and promotion of culture because we have a unique traditional architecture which is upheld at all times. Any building design that is uh, put up for scrutiny to the agencies has to comply with some minimal given architecture guidelines as as a way to promote culture. But my perspective of architecture, I think, transcends beyond that. It is of preservation of culture, but it is also the conservation of environment. How are you, how is one building using the resources? It is also about sustainability and ensuring that everybody has right to that that infrastructure in place, the right to do businesses, and also ensuring that these projects are um, support, you know, transparency. So I would feel architectures beyond preservation of and promotion of culture, but extends into other the other four pillars as well. Um, let's look at look at an, uh, an example here. To the right, you see a building. Yeah, it could be this. Or it could be that. Both of these are buildings in Bhutan. Right. Um, so it's about architecture is about sustainable use of resources not only during construction, but after construction during design uh, process as well. And the architecture that is environmentally conscious, environment is not limited to to the the flora and the fauna, but also the the indoor environment, you know, the people are a part of the environment. We are a part of the environment and we should always, as a designer, we should always put, uh, not exclude the people from the environment because we are a part of it. It has to be traditional. because that is a mandatory uh, mandate as per our uh, national bylaws. And then the contractual is fair and transparent. So all of these things comes in. And as, as a practitioner for over 12 years, we have been preparing designs, drawing, preparing tender documents. And then you know it's more holistic than, than one sees actually. There are a lot of other companies that come in which people would disregard to ensure that a a building, a design, a construction is uh, is ensures happiness. I have on my own definition of why happiness is important. and And I say, what is the purpose of life if it cannot be lived happily? Can this not be a purpose of design, a pattern to create spaces that ensures happiness an environment that balances the need and the wants and gives importance to living than existing. This is, I mean, this is, though it is a quote I have uh, of my own, but then I draw my inspiration from the, the, from the great four, where we talk about the need and the wants. We have, we as a human being, we have what choices, you know, we can choose what to use. And that's where, uh, as a designer, we can bring tell to the client what he can do to make a better built environment. So, from you know, having a very high carbon footprint to having lower is a, is a decision that one can make based on whether they want to have it or they need to have it. So, choices matter a lot. And then, well, just yes, like, uh, I mean, this is not new, really like, the COVID hit. And it had, it has, it had, and it uh, still has implications on the overall economy and the built environment, with issues like um, the workforce is lost. We are a tourism-driven country. Now, what do we do about that? Well, there's skepticism over tourism industry. Those who are designing hotels, those who are constructing hotels are like, so they stall the projects. What should they do? There are people who have been like they have been unemployed. Now there's a skills mismatch. They do not know what to do next now. Things like that, you know, construction has been stalled. Procurement of measures has become an issue now. There is unemployment and uncertainty over investments. But thankfully, you know, the government has been working very hard and there are initiatives that, and then I'll be only talking about those initiatives that the government has put in place for the built environment, for the construction industry, for the built industry. So under the economic contingency plan, there are two projects that are very strongly highlighted. One is called the Built Bhutan Project and the other is the Tourism Resilience. Built Bhutan Project came up because, because of the fact that we are very much dependent on um, workforce from, from across the border and we need to build our, our skilled man force. So for that reason, the bill build project came in. And the tourism, because despite the tourism being hit hard, we believe that we can always come back stronger and better after the COVID. And that has been the, the goal of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the current government. Apart and over and above the other, those initiatives that has been uh, under the economic contingency plan, the government also plans to reform the Tibet that's the technical vocation and vocational education and training wherein children can opt to undergo this uh, skill training for, for blue collar jobs to build, uh, to uh, minimize the gap that is there in the market right now. And then, you know, help the construction industry because that's where a lot of uh, cash outflows goes from the country and other is domestic tourism. And these are the initiatives that is being taken at the government level. We, as a small firm in Timpu, we also act, we have a role to play. We cannot just wait for the initiatives to come through. So what we, we focus on is we are looking into to practice, to promote health, well-being, and happiness in the built environment. And that has been our motto. It was before the COVID, and it is even stronger now. It's even more important to create better spaces because we are stuck with the hard reality. And that is, we now live in a box. We have been staying indoors much, much longer than we used to before. And then once in a while we look out of the window and then it depends what you see. I tried very hard to take out a very bad view but I couldn't find none in our country. (laughs) And then so that I could reflect and say that, well, if you see this, how would you feel? But then I was going through all the photos and I was like, Come on, everything looks good in here, you know. Um, So, but that is not the end of it. It may look good, but is it comfortable? It may be energy efficient, but do you get good sunlight? That's the question we need to ask ourselves now. It is not limited to, uh, you know, having a good view, but there are other things that make somebody happy, that makes somebody feel uh, healthy, and that is light. The access to sunlight, having very good indoor environment, thermal comfort is very important to ensure that you are you can feel happiness. There are the intangibles and the tangibles. I want to talk about the tangibles that you can touch on. There are other things that we that are very subjective, which we cannot. But then, as a designer, our way of looking into ensuring happiness is to design and give spaces to people that's comfortable. It's well daylight. Yes, it is energy efficient and stuff like that, sustainable, but not to compromise on the other the first two. And our philosophy has been to live with nature. That's ecological urbanism. Uh, that is a community that's integrated, that uses people to be part of the construction process. Materials that is about, that are bring sourced from the locality. You know, so there is community engagement, thereby creating. Um, a sense of belongingness to the building also, to the structure that is being built. Appropriateness, science driven, data driven. We have to design spaces. Now we cannot just, uh, as a designer of, of some other time, you know, some just uh, say that, well, this is, looks good and that's it. There's no data to support it. I think we have to use the data because we are in the data realm right now and use that to inform design decisions. And the last one is breathing life into building. We believe giving more control to the user. The user should be able to modify the building and its indoor environment to his choice and not the designer saying otherwise, saying that, well, this is a given. Beyond this and that, you cannot move. That should, be the, should not be the case. But then, uh, to, to even at our, at our philosophy and work towards it, we are very fortunate again because the government has got an enabling framework. We have got regulations in place, codes in place, guidelines, and the drive for energy efficiency, which it's a government mandate, and we are playing by it so that we ensure, you know, it's a win-win situation for the government, as well for, for an entity like us, whereby we try to create spaces that people can relate to and, be, and feel happy. The picture below shows, uh, you know, how it's a ramble construction that is being been done. Call in the community, you say today it's in my building, come out and help me the other day it's in the other building you know in our, in your neighborhood, so people come together. it's not like oh, his building is bigger than mine and stuff like that. so there is that community harmony that's been created because the other is a part of your building as well and then all of these important things are very important right uh, you might uh, people sometimes people ask me when I go and make presentations, they say me. Bhutan is a green country. You have got everything green, lush. Why do you worry? And I'm like, well, you have not seen. You are not inside. This is a photo that was taken in 2005, just close by from my office, um, around three kilometers from here. That was in 2005. 14. this is what it is. So we have to consider we are growing, we are hit with urbanism. So we have to design good space, a space that will ancient sure people are happy and, and, then, and then can enjoy their life uh, and many at times um, people have been designing spaces, uh, buildings as if they are like standalone um, things, nothing is there around them right but then this is changing and then I think we need to get this movement even faster and then make more pe- people aware that it's not an inert plot. The I main thing is it's an active thing, you know, there's the sun coming in, there's the wind, there's the vehicle moving past, there's a sound. And then there are some green spaces and some others not. How can we use that to inform design and make better spaces? And that is the goal that we, we would like to, and then we have been pursuing for this long. And I'll show you an example, you know. Um, this is a very famous building. It's called the Walkie Talkie. It's, in, it's in, in London, where I did my master's from. Um, and, uh, you know, one look at it and you'd say, wow, this is a splendid building. The architect also thought so. Yeah. And because it was a good design, but something was not right. And then came a news which says that the building was going to be so hot. I mean, the, the reflected heat from the building because of the curvature that you see and the, the, the azimuth from the south, that the incident hit that got reflected to the ground could actually fry an egg. So, there were demonstrations of this being done, and this is something that's happening in the developed countries, like in London. It's an example from London. So, we are here in Bhutan, we are there in India. People from Bangladesh and we like we are developing nations, but we got to worry. It's going to suck us. And if you don't do it right now, if you don't learn from the mistakes made from others, then I think we're not doing enough. So our our approach has always been, there are four things very important, the context, the climate, the user, and the use. I just want to touch on the user here. Because as designers, we also need to inform the client, and they bring about behavioral change. That is a mandate of a designer as well. It is not just, uh, you know, playing to the tunes of the client and saying, "Okay, well, you want that? Okay, I'll give you uh, give me extra for that and stuff like that." So that is the kind of thing that we need to bring about so that our designs are ecologically friendly and are energy efficient as well. So there's a change in the recipe that we proposed. Uh, anybody would say a good design should have good aesthetics. It should have very good circulation. It should be energy efficient. It should be cost effective it should be sustainable and it should have a low carbon footprint but you say hey well just a minute yeah there's something else that makes a better design and that is access to sunlight so that you don't fall sick often in the uk from my knowledge uh, access to sunlight is a must to get even design um, uh, you know past we do not have it here i think countries like ours developed nations should Look into if we can frame our regulations, if we can do our town plan planning to ensure that, that access to sunlight is ensured daylight so that we bring down the energy consumption. And also because it is good to work in a daylight condition and find a thermal comfort. Energy efficiency is one thing, and thermal comfort is another. In a research that I did um, just um, two years back, it was on, on a town in, in, in Bhutan, you know, in Switzerland. Uh, I collected data from around 152 buildings. Uh, so they were like almost uh, 3000 something units, you know, of the buildings. So uh, the total units were like 3000. And then I was looking at the EPI, the energy performance index. And there were some buildings that had as low as 15 kilowatt hour per meter square per annum, which is like you could get a passive, you know, passive house certificate for that. But my question is, Uh, are you being efficient and compromising your thermal comfort or are you really efficient? That is a distinct distinct, uh, definition that we have to put in. We should not compromise our comfort for reducing our energy bills or for saying that we are energy efficient. We should be within the thermal comfort standards. We should get good daylight, but still be energy efficient. And that is the goal we should should work towards. So solar study, basically we, we talk about shadow, that's been cast by the building and the context to arrive at design distance, like the four pictures that we'll show you here. You might, the first, uh, the one at the top right uh, might say that, yes, we have a huge, uh, you know, uh, built up area, you have got more units, but are the people happy there? Are you getting access to sunlight? Do you want people, do you want to be um, uh, capitalist in terms of building, you know, using the entire land to make a huge building? Or you want to create spaces which will ensure that people are happy in the design. It's a very difficult task. I have a lot of difficult times when I go to my clients and tell them, well, your square footage of the building is going to increase, but your occupants are going to be very unhappy. Can you do something about it? And they're like, why should I? And then I say, well, charge them a bigger rent, make it smaller, charge them a bigger rent, say, this is your, uh, you know, you're creating a good environment. I mean, there has to be a way around it. So it's not only about how big, but how good. And um, I, I really love this, uh, you know, what Likov said when, um, and I quote, architecture is the masterly, correct, and magnificent player volumes brought together in light. With, with light, we can create forms. The shadow, the shadow can actually create a different entity inside the building design. You know." The different kind of lighting that you use, not only inside but also on the outside. So we have to be very mindful of the solar. And then the sun rose is a very simple exercise that it takes around um, just thirty minutes to make a sun rose and then to have a demonstration and to, to show students and those who are interested to to you know just project a light and show how the how the shadow is going to be at what time of the day. These are very simple things that can be done which doesn't require any computer simula- simulation simulations to be run. Daylight, uh, well daylight is a little, there are some calculations to be done on in terms of daylight uh, and the window to wall ratio, but also to be mindful that daylight, excessive daylight is also not good. It can cause glare, discomfort and or disability glare. So um, daylight, but has to be considered. So it, it, So when you consider daylight, it's also about the urban scape, because the spaces between the buildings are very important to arrive at the, at the visible sky. So that the window size will be determined by that. So uh, in our country, what we have is uh, for different locations, there are allowable plot coverages, like 45 percent setback rules, which is a compulsory thing. So it ensures that most buildings are well deleted. May not continue the same. As I said, we are hit to urbanism. People are going to be capitalists and say that, well, I don't want to lose any piece of my land. I want to build everything off it, make the most of it out of it. And we we as designers have to say have to be able to say, well, well wait a minute here. What are you trying to do? What is the end benefit? Where are you down 10 is down the road? I go to my clients and tell them, you're designing a hotel well. Tomorrow, when a better hotel comes, you will not have any occupancy. Please be mindful of that. When a better house comes in a community, nobody's going to stay in a the house. There's so much of construction activity going right now. And it's very important right now to do, to, to do the right thing. And lastly, thermal comfort, when we talk about the heat balance must be the same as that is lost to what is gained, right? Um, so it's all about solar gain, the internal gains, the losses that are there from the fabric, from the ventilation the infiltration. Some just images to, to get an idea because I I presume that there are some students who will be accessing this presentation, which will help them to you know to, to be better designers tomorrow, to make a statement in your design and say that well yes we design because we care for the environment, we design because we design better buildings because it's for the people, and we are a part of the environment. So solar gains in terms of the sun coming in, and then we look into the internal gains so from the light. From the kind of equipment that you have in the house, from ourselves, how much are we generating? You know, whether you are standing, you are sleeping, you're, you know. So depending on the kind of use, I uh, mean, the activity that you do, because we gener- we are like we are like a machine. We are generating fifty watt watt uh, <laughs> per meter square of our of our surface. You know, so we are a machine. You know, which has got, which is an incredible uh, thing. Uh, The other is the building fabric. So from the walls, from the windows, again, that is being lost from the bridges that are there and then um, stuff like that. And lastly, the ventilation, which is the one that is of prime importance in Bhutan because our buildings have been designed. Our visual system are not good. uh, So the windows have a lot of leakages in them. People complain all the time about that. And in, in in my practice, we have our own video designs, which are... Uh, more airtight, and then uh, we also have uh, developed parametric uh, solutions, uh, algorithm-based parametric design for the windows, um, such that we can actually calculate the, the carbon footprint and also the infiltration losses. Um, some examples, because I've been talking a lot, uh, we use, I mean, this is easy to use to design louvers, you know, if you have to design a louver, well, you have to have a louver, but then what should be the angle of it? This is for a project that I did for a hospital. wherein these louvers can actually be, you can tweak it, you know, as I was telling earlier that the people have to have the right to change the indoor environment. So you can actually change the louver. You can should be able to, you know, uh, make it to the right, to the left, wherever you want to. So those things are things that we have put in. The other is also wherein we look into the urban thermal comfort index of the courtyard, because when you design a courtyard, you have to ensure that, people would want to sit in the courtyard. It's not just a courtyard, you know, and you say, well, I have a courtyard. And then let's say you're in the, in the cold part of the country and you have a courtyard on the, on the north and it's fully shaded from the south. No point, you know? So small things like that. How do you design? How do you say which has to be where? So small things like that, that matters. And also using our traditional architecture to create the sun shading or to enable the sun to come in, to make trom walls using our traditional guidelines. Because we are very, as I said, we have very strict traditional guidelines, but we can use it to our advantage to create better buildings, to come up with specifications for construction, such that it is traditional, yet it is modern and it helps to make the indoor environment better. We can use wind directions to determine how the, how the building is to be cooled. How the, the, the wind is going to get recirculated to the indoor space and stuff like that. Uh, this is also another design that uh, I'm currently working on. Um, so here the client, I mean, I mean, he's a I, I, I've been very fortunate to get good clients you know, who understand the importance of uh, building better, with uh, not only being energy efficient, but also you know, taking into account uh, the environmental issues of having. Promoting well being. He's like, no, no, I don't want to build on that side if there's going to be any shade. And that's what, like, come on, man, this is the right kind of person I got. <laughs> so, here uh, the, the infrastructure was the, the shape of the building was based on the analysis that we learned. So, there are some scripts that I've developed to run the, the radiation and the sunlight, our analysis to see which time of the day people can get sun, which time do, they do not get. So, what time which rooms should be facing east, which should be facing west, and why? Why should the kitchen be on that side? Thermal mapping, very important that we as designers can do. The kitchen doesn't have to be on the south side, you know, because it is already heated from the cooking that is being done, the activities in the room, things like that, small stuff that matters. And then you might say that, well, all this looks boring, can a good design come out, and then this is an example for good design. I am mean, not a good design, I mean, it can look good, you know. After doing all this analysis, the results can actually tell you to better designs and this is an example of after doing analysis and studies like that still a good design can come up many times people question me and say i mean it's all theoretical it is all uh, you know academic how can you put it into practice and that's what we do we bring this theoretical knowledge into practice and then convert that knowledge and data into designs other that i that uh, is under construction right now this is for the unicef actually um so it's a it's blueprint design for the subtropical climate in Bhutan. So there are, I designed for three different climate regions in Bhutan, blueprint designs that could be, will be used for all uh, ECCD centers across Bhutan. Uh, so this building is an energy efficient building, uh, has a very low carbon footprint. Uh, and then the, the window area the the rooms were all based on environmental design, like considering the sun, the movement, how the children go from which classroom to which, in, at what time do they sleep in their sleeping rooms? Corresponding to that, that space is there so that it is warm, yeah, things like that. Um, so, And then also we did complete profiling of the, of the loads to ensure that it was energy efficient as well. The window, uh, was also. I mean, we use data to design spaces, and I think that's where we, as architects, should uh, should go towards. You know, because we have been, you know, always having the upper hand and saying that. Well, this is my design, and that's it. the The client has to be to help the client to make decisions. We need to give them data, say them numbers, and say that we are, yes, because of these reasons, it's better to do this. You know, so it has to be supported by data and information. And last though I talk a lot of, of about, about uh, simulations and calculations let's not forget that the best instrument that we have is us but we have to have that um, that inherent or built um, quality to be able to go anywhere and assess. some people have you know after many years of assessing buildings and industries Somebody doesn't need the equipment to say whether that is efficient or not efficient. You go there and you know it because you are using your body, the, 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 that machine that I talked about a little earlier, which is the most magnificent one, to know whether, you know, that, is, that the design or the space is efficient, is thermally comfortable or not. And we all have it in us. It's just that we have to go out and then try it out one, two, three, four times, and we are there. Um, Yes, and then using the same thing, um, same concepts, I have also designed, the officer designed some good projects for the government, Um, and that is one of the examples of the project that is there, and with this, I end my presentation, and then I look forward to any questions that you have that I can answer. Thank you.
2: unmute, please
0: unmute. Oh, sorry, Brick but sweet presentation and precise very nicely uh, with the clear objective in the mind that uh, what do you mean by this uh, environmental friendly architecture, how to design, how it will help so built in environment and and that gives not only comfort to the people, and their well-being and also happiness in tune with the sustainable environmental. So you have touched upon several aspects of this. Some I could understand as a layman and some I could not. Anyway, so this, that means what we overall understood that a building should be designed, if I come for that, that uh, there should be some aesthetic aspects of it which should be appropriate. And what I think that a good aesthetic building also has some impact on the mindset of the people. If your surrounding within the court or within the room, uh, looks pleasant and beautiful, not very hot, not a high light is there, but gentle lights are coming from outside and uh, some ventilation is there. So uh, not dirtiness, not... Stanch all these things inside, so no dampness inside the house. All these things are maintained, also. They all these things are dependent on the design, how you make, and in the direction of the building, whether it's facing east, west, north. Uh, that, of course, it depends on the availability of the space. How you have if you are on the bank of a river and you have to construct compulsorily, so sometimes some of the opportunities one may not have, so you will be compelled to design in that way but still the engineers have that capability to twist that even by making different uh, shapes which is also another thing is that earthquake prune that has to be taken into account because Bhutan, Northeast India, Nepal, all these uh, the highly seismic um, prune zone these are so that also I think in the in your design experiment all these things come that uh, though you have not highlighted here much but and along with the environmental aestheticness, these things also sometimes you have to compromise with some of the aesthetic value in order to gain some seismic resistance, that is, earthquake resistance pattern. So, that, that also uh, is there. And, and the definitely building should be energy efficient so that you can get the good energy. So, uh, the locations and the uh, face will be in such a way it is made that it will be it will uh, conserve energy without uh, using much of the electricity or other thing, also you can get some comfort inside and the sunlight that you can get, ventilators should be. And and of course, the carbon footprint that we, we mentioned and you also told elaborately there, all these things. Um, and and another thing, what I, I, I think nowadays it is coming, I heard, I don't know how far it is correct or this, you can elaborate more on this, that is now houses are being designed on the roofs either for the water conservation that is rainwater harvesting so that is one thing coming so because that will also energy efficiency because if you have to pull underground water or lift underground water then you need energy rather if you can uh, uh, means harvested rainwater and through pipeline you conserve underground and later on through some filtration, you use for even drinking also, not only for washing or bathing. That is also another. Another is that either walls or some portion of the roofs people are using for the uh, for that uh, what you call solar panels. So that will uh, give you energy. So without consuming much of the space. So that is also incorporated in the and, and uh, some places it is being made mandatory in some parts of India also. That especially the rainwater harvesting is now mandatory in southern states. That is there. Uh, definitely institutional framework and legislation. So, so, all this come into play in that case. And I, I think also in Bhutan, that is uh, despite having the less per capita income that in the happiness index at the top, I think some of the religious beliefs also work there, isn't it, in the Jamson pattern? I don't know how. So, uh, because your uh, that pattern, because I only have some experience, though every time I uh, take attempt, but I could never uh, visit Thingpu, Dhing- Only through Manas sanctuary, I had uh, entered Bhutan around 15 kilometers through Panbang Bridge, that side And I saw that in, in, in December, uh, this winter also class five, six students, the children, they are selling orange and others, vending uh, nearby that Panbang Bridge. I think you know that side. And, and that uh, market also. Only only that is my experience of that boot and I never uh, inside I gone. And uh, and and building, the, so, so all these things just uh, come to my mind that I told has as a lemon like that. The other, other things though, you have uh, touched upon so better the other panelists uh, can, can speak much more on that and ask question. And only in that chat box, I saw one question that is one friend from Bangladesh who is attending this uh, Antara, that uh, whether increase in manpower that can be an important aspect for this purpose. So this, uh, okay, uh, she is asking here. So now I think I should open it for the discussion and the panelists. Uh, Doctor Simi, can you start with that? And then others, please. I don't know who else are joining. Please go ahead.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Deependra, for this wonderful and lovely presentation. Uh, it was uh, really, really informative. And thank you, Dr. Professor Utpalde for uh, your uh, comments as well. Uh, much of uh, what you have spoken, even I was left uh, in the thought process because as a lay person, uh, it is very wonderful to watch Uh, how Bhutan is actually making progress and strides towards sustainable environment. And it was just fascinating to uh, watch and listen to Mr. Dipendra's presentation. So to begin with, um, I really loved your definition of um, how you, I mean, you define what it is actually meaning, what it actually means to be happy. Uh, So uh, Aesthetically also, um, when you are um, designing buildings or the construction that uh, takes place, it needs to make people happy uh, the way it is appearing as uh, Professor Day also mentioned the structures. Um, when you spoke about the Build Bhutan plan, the, uh, so I want to know more about it, whether it is, um, it was uh, after COVID hit, or has it always been uh, there in in existence? And uh, what are the other aspects of, um, I mean, how how inclusive it is? Uh, What are the other characteristics of such a plan? Uh, Whether it is long-term, I mean, what are the various objectives, short, medium, and long-term for this project? Uh, Then you have, um, also shown um, so many, uh, or or even from your experiences also, there is a lot of creation of public spaces as the comparative picture that you showed of 2005 and now that uh, the entire was it a riverine that was there or was it a road I couldn't understand, which was there in the previous photograph and now it's converted into a road or something. So uh, is it a lot, uh, is a lot of construction government driven? and uh, if it is so uh, how does the government raise funds what is the uh, you know there are mass rapid systems or infrastructure the highways or um, right of way which is to be given to uh, the infrastructure projects um, so how does this factor in when you are, when you are creating public spaces and then when you're talking about the community bring, comes in together uh, to help one another, commun- that harmony is there in that photograph that you showed that, uh, okay, this is my construction going on, people pitch in and their efforts are there. So uh, I'm also very aware that uh, no work in Bhutan is considered to be inferior to the other, You know, whether it is garbage collection or you are uh, at the top helm. So it is very, very, uh, I mean, very inspiring in one sense. Uh, So what in your experience has been uh, when you are explaining to your clients that you need to make adjustments uh, in the proposed designs, uh, allowing for enough sunlight while also taking care of uh, the nearby units? I know you mentioned one of your clients and you were super happy about it, that, uh, okay, uh, you are converging on those uh, points that, okay, this person also is aware of... uh, Um, sustainable environment and uh, environmental uh, uh, growth and development. So um, uh, if you could comment on that. And then um, you also showed wonderful pictures, colorful, uh, uh, the design that you had presented on uh, for the hospital. Um, So uh, how much does the aspect of colors uh, factor in, uh, in your activities? in terms of uh, energy efficiency. Um, And then uh, after the construction has been done, you know uh, that, uh, okay, not many people abide by the set rules of environmental friendly uh, activities or construction activities. So once the construction has been completed, um, pulling it down is not always an option even though they understand that, okay, this was not my uh, intention, but now what to do. So what is your advice for uh, such such people who are now wanting to move towards it, but they are not able to because of maybe financial constraints or even the loc- locality doesn't you know, allow for such changes? And uh, my last concern was what is the percentage of the energy efficient construction in Bhutan? I mean, how much is the energy efficient buildings there? I mean, we are all talking about it and you are working towards it. So uh, how much is it? And is there a plan or proposal from the government to uh, to move towards this aspect that this has to be made compulsory when it is actually talking about um, Happiness index, or uh, moving towards that happiness zone. So, if you could comment on these two, but uh, overall, I really enjoyed your presentation. Thank you so much for walking us through actually Bhutan <laughs> virtually.
1: Shall so, I do like uh, I take your questions and then I answer, so, and then I take. Right?
0: Uh, who else are there, Simi, I have no idea. Please, uh, uh, Doctor. Sorry,
3: Yes, I am here, but Simi asked so many questions, so
1: why not Mr. <laughs> uh, to respond yeah. and then other You will
2: so
1: can can. Okay. to respond. Not a problem. OK. No, uh, no, it's OK. I mean, I think the questions are very good, actually. Because these are things that we we come across every day as, as a designer and as a firm. Um, so uh, I'll just start from those questions that I can recollect. If I miss any, please let me know. And then maybe because. I think I have almost all answers for answer all the questions. <laughs> so, first of all, uh, the the build Bhutan project that you were referring to is a response to the COVID nineteen. This came in because, as I said, we are uh, the workforce is, workforce for construction is uh, is mostly from across the border, Bhutanese, there are very few Bhutanese who have skilled, uh, you know, uh, who are skilled to do um, things like brick laying, plumbing walls, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, for that reasons, the government said we will extend support to establish specialized firms. A specialized firm can only do one activity. It can be, so you cannot say, I am a contractor and do whole building. Like that firm can say, "I'm a contractor, and we do only um, uh, bricklaying. We do only roofing. We do only plumbing. We do only sanitation." So in that way, we are we are trying to build uh, our expertise. You know, it might be through trial and error. You might fail, but I think as a government, so that everybody benefits in the long run, we should be willing to fail fast and fail safe, and then recoup. You know. Recover, that is very important. And I think that is strategy that the government is taking. But over and above that, the TV thing, that um, the, the technical and vocational education and training program was always there in the government to reform because we are in dire need of, you know, Putin's workforce for the construction industry. There's, there's so many construction activity. the one that I saw from 2005 to 2014, in less than uh, just, you know, in, in a span of 10 years, hundreds of buildings have come up in that area and it was a paddy field. And in many presentation, I've, I've highlighted and said that, was that a right decision at that time, converting a paddy field into an into a urban landscape? Were, were there no, op- no other options? But I feel that, you know, at that point of time, maybe, that was the right thing to do. but now that we are we are aware of what has happened you know how much of uh, the agrarian agri-gri- uh, culture that we had and then the kind of uh, the, the, the growth that we used to have the, the, the paddy and then the serious growth we used to, we used to have uh, which is not there because we need pockets of um, uh, uh, lands that's open as fields and some pockets of land which is constructed as urban centers and that harmony has to be there and the best example is in paro actually in where the uh, the airport is actually the international airport is in that region there is that mix so there are paddy fields between towns you know the main town is there and you drive just after the main town and there are paddy fields and then where there is and the dry land there are some buildings so things like that so that could i think we also are growing, you know, everybody goes through that, uh, that phase of learning. And I think I would l- rather take it as that, though uh, our town planning was built on, uh, based on intelligent urbanism, um, wherein it was supposed to be, you know, uh, transit friendly, uh, and then ensuring that there is um, so- social cohesion and, and uh, political backup. The political backup is very important here again. And then you talked about uh, having spaces like for parking stuff like that. In, in Bhutan, uh, there is something called land pooling. That land pooling that came in uh, a long time back when the, the structure map was being prepared. Under this, what happens is if I have a 50 decimal of land, let's say, the government has the right And we agreed to give almost 10 to 20% of the land to the government from our land to build the roads, to accommodate the parks. It was a joint discussion that was done, that was agreed by the people also. That is what you need. You know, sometimes you need a compelling leader with a vision to say that, well, I know you are losing your land. Who would want to lose your land, you know? But then for the greater benefit, and that land pulling—it was a difficult time that the government went through, but people agreed. And here we are—we have got, you know, my land is taken away, but I've got access to road, I've got access to water, I got parks nearby, so that works well, you know. So, so that is the way actually you get those uh, uh, greenscapes, the parks and spaces inside the inside the building. Mm. Yeah. When it comes to convincing clients, I think as designers, we have to, we cannot play to the tunes of the client is what I always say, because they are not aware, you know, they are not aware. And then we cannot, just because of the lack of awareness, uh, design whatever we want to, we have to uh, share, I mean, no, take the responsibility and say, we are trying to design better and give them options. If an option is well thought of, it's supported by data and climate, then definitely anybody would go for it. Uh, just David, yesterday, I'm also doing a bank project in, in, in paro uh, and we went into lens into where the waiting area has to be. And finally, I think they considered that it is where the people are going to wait. Uh, I mean, it is where the sun will hit them the most, the where the view is the best, where it's more thermally and sunlit, thermally comfortable and sunlit without using any um, uh, mechanical uh, heating or ventilation. that space is where the people should be, you know, people should come as waiting spaces. That should be where the waiting spaces should be. One, why? Because when somebody comes into the building, for that one or two percent, you don't want to give in your mechanical ventilation, energy intensive. Yeah. Second, because somebody who comes into a building and feels, wow, this is this looks perfectly nice and it has got a good environment. He'll take that thing back home. And if he designs or builds a building, he's going to say, I was into that building, you know, I would like to have it like that. And that's what we want to do. So, more lives are trust. The officers will be there. How many people are going to be in the bank? Brother? The, the rolling, the people who work in every time, those are the more important, you know, to make the change. So, we, we, we can only be the, uh, the catalyst. But we have to be active and educate the clients. Very important. Um, the color, I think I'm. I'm so sorry. I think that uh, that that image is actually a simulation image. So what that shows is the radiation analysis because of the shading. It is nothing to do with color. In Bhutan, we are very again strict with the use of colors. A building cannot have color of its choice. I mean, there are some reasons why. The color has to, uh, for different reasons, there are different colors actually. Yeah, so you have a set of five to seven colors that you can choose on a building. So the, no no building looks very different, you know, or too stark, and that is a way to say that this is Putinist, You know, we all agree to that colors, and then say, yeah, well, "Okay, fine, we go yellow, green, blue, no red, stuff like that." You know, so there must be some religious inclination to that. I do not know, but then. Uh, architecture is not just about color, but also about that form that you create, the spaces that you create inside the buildings. So uh, I, I worry the least about colors, though it is an it's an important thing. Uh, but on the, in, on the interior, there's not an issue. So uh, based on your mood that you want to have, you can always have different kind of colors that you want to on the interiors, you know, so not an issue. Um, on the changes, there are always changes at site, and that is a that is a very that's a reality, because of budget, because of some decisions that were made. Uh, but uh, to me, if I mean, I have very strong contractual agreements with my clients. So <laughs> if they make any changes, they have to go through a process of getting it approved by me to get that things done. One other is. If a change is inevitable, a design is, I mean, they say a practicing, you know, they say practicing architects, practicing designers. It is because there can be hundred options. It's just how deep you can go in. How much time can you give to that project? So even if something is done at the site, there's always a way around to make it better because we can create microclimates. you know. One is the climate that is there, but one is the climate that you create inside for one of my projects that I'm doing right now that I have submission tomorrow, <laughs> um, we're creating, it's in the ground floor, which is like shielded by uh, you know, walls on, on the two sides. So what we're proposing is very huge corridor of up to 5.5 meters wide with plantations along the sides. And then the rooms are there. So what it does is it is like you're walking not on a corridor a 1.5 meter narrow corridor, but on a road, you know. So that's scale, the height, the length, there are things like that matters. You know? It is beyond architecture. Designers have to think beyond just putting rooms but then create spaces, very important. And then the call for energy efficient uh, structures in Bhutan. Mm. I, in, in partnership with an NGO based in India, called, in Delhi only, called Cinema Asia, we are working and we have actually completed the guideline for energy auditing of buildings and industries. Um, so the government is really serious about it. Uh, there has also been intended that we participated in with another partner from India because we're still growing actually. I am not an expert, I don't say, you know. So there is a partner from India, again from Delhi only. Uh, for uh, what do you call that? remodeling buildings in one in an alpine region in Bhutan and one in subtropical region in Bhutan, that's in Thimphu, to make it energy efficient. So there are things happening, it's slow, uh, especially when it comes to private clients, nobody would want to say we want to make energy efficient and stuff like that, but then um, and from the government side, yes, they have the power and then they have to show the leadership to to show the way so that others can follow. Did you miss anything?
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, So before, uh, sir, can I just add two more observations, if that is okay? Um, When you are talking about the land pooling, it is so wonderful. It actually uh, reminds me of the whole social contract in uh, political theory. And also, it is also mentioned in the Mahabharata about um, the Rajdharma, where people are themselves giving up certain amount of whatever they possess for the wider benefit. So uh, the luxury of space is not available in India. So I don't know uh, this sort of uh, things ca- can happen or not happen, or we can have that uh, have it in India. But for uh, for the moment, I. Think that grass is greener on the other side, uh, in terms of <laughs> wonderful uh, buildings and green spaces. So that was my submission. Thank you. Thank you again for my for responding to my questions. Over to you, Professor Day.
0: So um, th- thank you very much uh, for uh, some responses. In the question box, also uh, some uh, write up came. That in India, we we do not have that luxury because uh, more than 138 uh, crore population and many of them are working in the informal sector and they are migrants also. Maybe they have their good homes at uh, villages, but they are uh, working in some other places where they cannot afford with their meager income, either to take on rent or to own their own apartment or something of that kind. So, here the question is that uh, how uh, these people can avail or their happinesses, how can you link it? Only it is possible where uh, the population density is less or sparsely populated area. Another thing is that there may be a trade off. So, aesthetic building or all these things, if we make whatever uh, aspects we talked over here or you talked here, so that may need a huge cost of uh, construction. So that may lead to an if they don't uh, have the ability to afford to that or uh, entitlement. So that is another thing, isn't it? And that thing I, I was asking about, the not only the institutional aspects, whether in Bhutan these type of things are coming, that I, I think you are taking into account that, that um, what you call, uh, that uh, uh, earthquake things, no, in your construction. But whether uh, to the, because uh, less solar radiation if you get, if it is on the other side of the hill or mountain, so the construction, so designs they may have uh, for the solar panels and others in the design uh, that that will help uh, for that uh, energy conservation and this production, so self-sustaining. Suppose in the walls, if you have the solar panels and with some angle 45 degree or something, so maybe whatever energy will be produced, the whole building can run with that itself. So no need of external uh, supply of the electricity. All these things not yet come in your place.
1: I don't know. Is it so? No. If you if you had closely looked into the presentation I gave for the UNICEF building, yeah, that uh, that uh, that single story, there are roof panels on the roof. If you notice, ah. so we have been integrating. I have been actively working to, to you know, to bring about that change, integrated design in buildings, so that the cost of construction can go down. Actually, what happens is people would first finish the construction, and then they are like, oh, now I need a solar PV or a solar thermal for my water heating, and then 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 they install. That actually increases the cost of construction. So. For a client, it is very important to give them a return on investment as well Mm. to show them what are the options and how to take decisions on the priority matrix based on the priority matrix. So you say uh, there are X, Y and Z options Mm. based on the priority matrix that talks about that, uh, you know, that measures it against uh, the kind of uh, input you have to put in and the kind of uh, output that you generate. Yeah. So let's say investment is an input, you know, so you need to have high investment but the output is also very high. So it is a very likely project, it's good to do it. But you have a high input but uh, the but, uh, investment is low, you know. So it means that it is only a, you know for the sake of doing it, you know, it's like a thank you project. I mean interventions. So that's where I, as designers, I do in every, in every projects. We go to the depth of even determining what should be the u value of the internal walls external walls on which facade a building is not like a refrigerator yeah. it has to be you know sealed all the sides with the same insulation. You can only say, well, this is facing south, we need solar again okay, we don't need to worry about the heat losses because the wind is less on this side and then design accordingly, you know so the cost of construction will go down based on the depth you want to go into it is all about how much you want to go how much time and effort can you put in right now since we are starting with it i mean the the amount that you get for a project if you come by with developed nations it's like nothing but we have to go there you know if you don't start now and wait for something to happen it never happened that's why we are moving towards and we're trying to inform clients and say well uh when you make construction, it might be a little difficult for you to manage because yeah. different walls have got different insulation, you know. But then, giving detailed design specifications would help you to reduce the over costs, and that is what we should uh, uh, we should strive towards. It says garbage in, garbage out in 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 software, you know. When you do simulations, it's same here actually. So uh, if it if the total thing is not looked into then you cannot anticipate um, a good uh, result also. But we have to start somewhere. Uh, One time uh, when we were discussing with uh, the economic stimulus plan also, which I was a member of uh, as an advisory. So uh, I was like, if you don't start now on building energy efficient, we will be nowhere. But if we start now and because of whatever issues, you know, the learning process, we achieve 50. Of what we actually anticipated. At least we are there fifty, you know, and then we can build in the next five years to be at the hundred. What we what we want to achieve at. But if you don't start now, we are nowhere. Then we are just going back in time. And uh, on the on the uh, again on the on the what community based thing, we our firm is a strong advocate of using timber in our structures. We have natural resources. Timber is a, a renewable resource. If it is uh, sourced uh, sustainably, used sustainably, then there's a huge potential for it, you know. So right now, in the images also that I showed you, you uh, if you remember those two images right after um, uh, the four pillars of JNH, it has one which with timber, traditional elements. The other is in concrete. That is what's going wrong. We cannot just replicate our national values into just whatever that is doable and easy to do. And that is where we go wrong. Uh, there are some Thank questions you.
0: I saw, yeah. Mm. And, and there are differences in the community based societies building and another is the individuals, their capabilities and other things. So when individuals separate his own personal, so something differences will be there. Anyway, so the other questions, uh, Dr. Orjun, please give your observation. Yes. yes, few points I
3: also yes, wanted to add. But firstly, let me congratulate uh, sir for coming here and presenting his views. Very less of the uh, architect or planners in South Asia are able to raise these points. But I am an economist, but I do study uh, housing real estate uh, from a very different place. And now I'm also uh, connected with Tongji University in China, their, uh, their uh, design and construction uh, department they are also uh, i'm working with some professors they are doing this on a very mass scale uh, using this simulation like the role of light heat sunlight many things and uh, that problem was also you know uh, coming uh, again and again when you were also suggesting that uh, the whole approach is integrating data with architecture or design uh, which is so useful the new data from the new sort of sensors so uh, and our subcontinent is also uh, because you are in bhutan so there is cold condition but uh, the subcontinent is largely you know uh, tropical subtropical so uh, there is a lot of diversity also uh, but having said so we also have uh, in india one of the very big housing program known as pradhan mantri awas yojana it has a, a rural and urban component and uh, we have almost made now more than you know in fact sanction more than two three crores of uh, 20 30 40 billion uh, millions of uh, houses and still the the rate is going and india is also urbanizing fast uh, how do you see that uh, in terms of mass or the problem of scale india faces uh, uh, largely to integrate this sort of information or how students or the practitioner can learn and integrate uh, the the software or this information so that uh, these steps, uh, as you're suggesting that we should and we should really take steps uh, or move towards it. uh, We also strengthen uh, that cause uh, in terms of know-how, how uh, how we should uh, uh, look into for built environment, micro environment, also sustainable habitat. But uh, uh, most of the time, what we feel that uh, Despite having all the push uh, in practice, it is, I would say, uh, not even 10, 20% of the construction goes through this phase. What do you think are the bottlenecks? Uh, Are they especially pertain to uh, uh, South Asia mostly? Because in London also, you showed the example that there are many evolving dimensions coming. So I just wanted to know from that part that how the people of subcontinent can uh, embrace this uh, kind of new changes and how to go there.
1: Thank you again. Thank you, Doctor, for the wonderful question. Yeah, but that has put me in a fix. You know, I can only say that if you want to change, you have to be the change. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, and I think designers across, not limited to just Southeast Asia or uh, to, but to and the entire world, you know, should do their part as well. If we come, if everybody, you know follow this as a guiding stone as some of the principles that you have to put into in design, then collectively we can bring about a change. But we need that kind of, you know, that um, uh, a unanimous agreement to say that climate change is not a hoax; it is a real thing that's happening. People have the right to live happily. Well-being is more important; is the most important thing actually. Because if you are not healthy and well, then it's a life of waste. It is about what you prior you know you prioritize. So, to me, I I am doing what I can. I would urge designers in India, other parts of the world, to create, to embrace this idea of environmental design principles. Do they part? And then that ten can turn into 20 and 40 and 250, 60, you know. But if you do not do our part and then we only speculate on what will not happen, then we may not ever reach anywhere. It's my biggest worry. That's why I, I uh, would like to, you know, that's why I think we all got to do our part. And and um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to, yeah, just occurred to me is that... Um, We also face, we, as I said, it's a small country, but the terrain makes it, you know, creates that alpine region in our country. We are not only a cold country. We have very hot hot places in in Bhutan. The one that uh, Professor Utpal mentioned, Panbang is a hot place. We have got places in Bhutan, which range as much as, um, what about in India, that's a place in Assam, I think, from sea, where the heaviest rainfall is, that, I don't know. So that, so... Chirapunji. Chirapunji. Uh, Chirapunji. so similar to Chirapunji, it rains in Galifu. So there are, uh, we are faced with these things, you know. That's why, as a designer, I cannot do copy-paste work. I have, have to strive, I mean, in the developing nations, we are not paid as much as in the developed nations, but we have to work towards, so that we are at par. And then it is also beyond economic sometimes you know not just the financial gain that you gain, but the satisfaction of life itself of having contributed something for the well-being of you know the world maybe of your 10 projects or 20 projects that you do maybe five will really get good you know people will get to see it and then they know what's happening there and they want to take it and then try it out that's what i want to see a positivity many things will fail you know that's the way of life i just want to I think it's very important to be very, very optimistic, and I'm full of optimism in that. <laughs> Thanks.
0: I like the approach. Anyway, so Arjun, who are uh, other panelists, please? No, sir, I think, yes,
3: sir has also been speaking for quite, we can wrap. Uh, unless you want to ask a few questions.
0: Uh, it's okay. Uh, here, uh, some in the panel, oh, no, these are not questions. Other questions I already mentioned that time. Yes. So, um, I think that this is a very good discussion we had, though many, uh, because it's a specific topic, so we did not have many panelists here. So, and and, uh, we are all, as I said, that we are all laymen, only on uh, civil engineers and others, so we could have invited some more. So, that could be uh, much, much befitting anyway. So uh, th- there is no end to it. So uh, in future also we can invite and have much more discussions and deliberations on these aspects. And I hope that your Bhutan also maintain that status quo that uh, conserving the environment and uh, forest, everything. And despite enjoying the happiness uh, with uh, whatever they have, as, 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 I, as I said earlier also that I asked the children uh, why are you selling? You do not have a school here today. That, uh, here in Breeze, you are selling all This No, no, in vacation, uh, now no school. So we are earning something. Somebody is in class six, somebody in class eight. So that simplicity also, I like that. Uh, I, this reminded my childhood that uh, we also used to do during the festivals, some pakodi and selling so that uh, some pocket money we can earn something. So and, and so while uh, learning also is there do by practice and in your livelihood how to earn and spend uh, not only that in school education so these are also some way of educations I saw in Bhutan and and that uh, that religious aspect I had asked uh, perhaps you did not address uh, might be some Buddhist uh, culture and that is inhibited in their mind. Maybe that inculcate that mindset that how to become or remain happy uh, with uh, limited resources also and, and their community life, how to help others, all this uh, in every religion it is there. but uh, because it is a homogeneous culture unlike that of the India. In India we have uh, hundreds and different diversities, so conflicts of the opinion and many things come in the religious case also and the societal differences, many heterogeneity of the society. Uh, structure. So in your case, it is the uniform. Only only all are uh, same religion followers, same uh, ide- identical thinking that is inculcated from the very ch- childhood and the school also. In your uh, school syllabus also some of these things are there. As in Northeast also some of these aesthetic things and, and the moral values that is also uh, inculcated. Everywhere these moral values are there, but it varies depending on the situation and the people who are living there. So they're designing course, curriculum, everything. So in in Bhutan, I think these things also are there uh, from the very beginning in their mindset, that is. That also have a great impact on it. So thank you uh, very much, uh, Dr. Dipendra, uh, for your illuminating lecture. And we learned a lot uh, of the thing, and uh, and, and it is of the bit, I, I say, though I also teach environmental economics and resource economics. And and also on housing, I guided PhD, but only on marketing aspect of the uh, housing and how people prefer, which aspect, for which mm -hmm. uh, whether surrounding things, even the locational values for that also people like to pay. Uh, Whether nearby your house, there is a graveyard outside or not. Whether dumping ground is far away or nearby. Or uh, through the window, you can have a view of the forest. For that also, people like to pay more rent. So those things we have analyzed. So that is a different. So the, from there are also some things we can infer, but not from the constructional aspect or the engineering aspects that we have dealt with. So it is a, it is a different uh, 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 things and ideas that we got from you, and also those who participated here in the panelists and also the impre for giving me opportunity also to moderate your thing. Uh, despite having little knowledge in this area. So to Arjun, Simi, and their team. So, and and also your uh, design studio and iHub for being associated with this program. So thank you very much. And we hope, hope for more such discussions in future uh, from your side as well as from the EMPRIS side. Thank you very much. So do you want to wind up, Arjun? Does no
2: no sir. do you want to have the last word
0: anything, anything to, to say yes dipendra would
1: you like to have then something? yes dipendra yeah. would you like to just add anything uh, first of all i'm not a doctorate here please <laughs> i'm just dipendra <laughs> um i i i really echo what uh, professor paul talked about because we that, that moral value is something that we we stick to but uh, not the religious context. because I am a Hindu in Bhutan. Bhutan is largely Buddhist but we have we have the right to choose your religion in our country also though very small country um, But it's just about you know the country that you grow with. what you see is what you learn you know what you practice, Sometimes more than the book and the academic knowledge, it is, you know, the society that teaches you a lot of things like the one said in the Oranges in the, on the Roads of Panbang. So it is not something that they were meant to do or they were forced to do maybe, you know, or maybe they were, but in the, in the process, they did get to learn. And as long as you do not complain and you feel that yeah, it's enjoyable, and to sell oranges in, in my vacation, I get some money for my pocket money and stuff like that. I and mean, it's possibly fine. You know? I mean that's where we are. at. there's there's nothing like the only wrong thing is to do wrong. Yeah, the right thing is not wrong. <laughs> I think I that. Thank you so much.
0: That I told. Yeah. Thank you very much. So uh, I think Mind we come to an end. Yes,
3: sure. So
0: I, I declare the session
2: is closed. Yes, thank, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Vitans. Thank so. you okay. for joining us. Have a nice day.